Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. We're talking business now with Pamela McCordick, an AI expert and author who's been working around the field of artificial intelligence since 1960. She's chronicled the evolution of AI and has unique insight into what could be ahead in the industry and for women in science as well. In this episode of Talking Business Now, Pamela joins me to talk about her latest book, This Could Be Important, My Life and Times with the Artificial Intelligentsia. Welcome, Pamela. Well, thank you, Kelly. We hear a lot about AI, about artificial intelligence, kind of a buzzword these days, but I'm not sure everybody really understands what it means. So could you give us a simple definition of what AI is? When I was introduced to AI, I asked the same question. This is, yes, 1960. Hard to believe. Yeah, that, uh, that would be a very <laughs> legitimate question at that point, certainly. Oh, and uh, the, the guy who answered me said, artificial intelligence is machines doing things that if people did them, we'd say, oh, that's intelligent behavior. That's a very and, interesting definition. <laughs> it certainly is. And you know, I don't think it's been improved on. Yeah, no, that, that really captures the heart of it. And as you said, 1960, you were certainly on the forefront of this industry. How did you get involved in the field oh. at that time, and especially as a woman? Uh, totally by accident. I was uh, a January graduate from college, and I was going to go to law school in the fall. And these two young assistant professors came to me, and they said, we know this, that you're, you've got nine months off. Would you like to work on our book? And I said, yes, I would. And then I said, and what's it about? <laughs> and After you'd already said, committed yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, you know, I was, a, I was an English major mm -hmm. book. What? what what could be better? Right. Although I must say, I had worked my way through school, uh, typing for the business school at Berkeley, and I'd spent an entire summer typing an accounting textbook. So, you know, I, I was ready for anything. Right. So anyway, oh, yeah. I, I said, what's it about? And they said, it's about artificial intelligence. And I said, okay, I've heard that phrase. Can you tell me what that means? And that's when they gave me that answer. This is machines doing something that if humans did them, we'd say that's intelligent behavior. Yeah. And that book was the beginning of, of just a lifelong fascination with the topic. Yes, it certainly was. And so where did you take it from there? Oh, really? I didn't expect this to be uh, my lifelong mm -hmm. fascination, believe me. I didn't go to graduate school, but I did go to work for one of those guys. He left uh, Berkeley and went down to Stanford, where they had a real computer science department. And that's where I really got saturated with the whole AI point of view. But I still, you know, wanted to be more than somebody's assistant. Mm -hmm. So I left there and went to Columbia University in the School of the Arts, wrote a, a novel nothing to do with AI, wrote a second novel about women in big science. And then I was thinking, I should write a novel about these weird people I know in AI. <laughs> By that time, it was not a, a quite so strange a, a topic. Well, I didn't write a novel. I wrote the first modern history of artificial intelligence, where I talked to the people who were actually creating the field. What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? What, what are the implications? 
and so on, that kind of thing. That was uh, Machines Who Think, right? Right. And that is still popular today from what I can see. Well, it's still in print to my utter amazement. And one of the reasons I think it's because is because not because the science is up to date. Of course, it's completely out of date. But I got to these guys before anybody else. Nobody had asked them these questions. And their answers are fresh and thoughtful. And people still like to read that. And you knew the founding fathers, so to speak. Let's fast forward a little bit and and really cement this for our listeners who are business leaders here today and, and talk about some examples of the way businesses are already using AI. We take so for granted that we may not even realize it. Oh, my stars. Anybody who uses Salesforce, anybody who uses programs like that is deep in AI. Anybody who uses customer prediction, analytics about what customers might do, what they might need, is deep into AI. And on and on. Oh, fraud detection. Mm -hmm. That's very big. Accountants are streamlining what they do with the help of AI so that one accountant can do much more than a single accountant could do years ago. How is it revolutionizing even the smallest businesses? That's an interesting question. I guess the first thing I'd say is that a small business person carries around in his pocket or her handbag more computing power than we had in the entire world in 1970. And that's in their smartphone. And the smartphone is very much a product of AI. The voice understanding, the kind of things that the smartphone can do for you, boy, that's all AI. So basically, it levels the playing field in many ways for small businesses so that they can compete with the bigger guys. What are some of the future applications of AI that business owners should have on their radar? Well, again, uh, these things that I mentioned that the the big guys are doing, more and more, you will be able to satisfy your customers with voice understanding, chatbots, things like that, that will make a customer feel, yeah, somebody's listening to me. I'm not just one of gazillions. And that's really important for the business relationship, I think. Talk about some of the societal and ethical implications. I think a lot of times when we use AI in business, we don't even realize that's what's behind it. It's just like, you know, you turn on your TV set and a, and a picture appears and that's the way AI has become so embedded in businesses. And when you do see stuff in the mainstream media about AI, a lot of times it's focusing on the negative side or the potentially negative side of it. So let's talk about some of those things. Uh, Unemployment, the distribution of wealth. This is a different kind of industrial revolution, if you will. In the first industrial revolution, well, there were lots of distinctive things about it, but the most distinctive thing that I want to focus on is that master weavers were replaced by machines that could be run by people who didn't have the knowledge that master weavers had. In other words, it raised up a class of people who were not well-trained or anything like that, but they, they could do that, and they put the master weavers out of business. These people who had been in training for apprenticeships for years before they were able to go off on their own. So you, you can see why the, the Luddites were so angry. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's happening here? is different in the sense that, yes, jobs will exist for sure, but they will go to people who are already very well-trained, and it will not raise up a class of people who aren't well-trained. And that 
a big difference. People say that it will lead to more meaningful work, though. But as you say, there's still a price for people who, who haven't had the ability to, to get trained or to get access to that training. Yes, and I, I want to say, I want to put it a different way. Instead of talking about jobs, we need to talk about tasks. There are so many tasks that need to be done. I'm thinking particularly about in healthcare, in elder care, in child care, and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. And these are the things that for now, and probably for the foreseeable future, really only human beings can do for human beings. Give us some examples so, of those. Well, next door to me, a man comes in, he's in his 90s, and somebody comes in daily uh, just to check on him. You know, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Keep talking, and so on and so forth. This is true all over the world, that we are getting older as a, as a race, as a human race. Mm -hmm. uh, we need more care than we did. Then, you know, people used to drop dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we can cure those things now. We can't make you whole. We can't make you a 20-year-old again. Fine. Uh, a little care is all we need. But we pay those caregivers just nothing. Suppose instead we said, this is a task that really has social importance, taking care of other people. Let's pay it accordingly instead of just paying people who have economic importance. And so as it gets better and better at modeling human behavior, as machines do, there is a potential for abuse. There's a potential for mistakes and malfunctions. That could have safety and security implications in addition to ethical implications. And talk to us about safeguards there? The safeguards are in, unfortunately not up very much yet. Mm -hmm. The good news is that I don't know how many organizations and programs and institutes have applied themselves to these problems. I used to be able to name two or three of the top ones. Every day a new one comes in. Mm -hmm. uh, most recently, Harvard uh, is doing something uh, on the, well, the the responsible use of artificial intelligence. It's happening. It's just behind the kind of catastrophic things that can happen. Give us what you find most exciting about artificial intelligence. What what gets what gets what, yeah what gets you excited about it? I am so excited about how close AI is coming to modeling human behavior. Human behavior is unique mm -hmm. on the planet. That's the thing. We are separated from the rest of the animals. We can talk about intelligence in slime molds. We can talk about intelligence in chimpanzees. And we're quite right. They do have different kinds of intelligence. But human intelligence is really unique. And little by little, AI researchers are coming closer and closer to modeling human behavior. Well, what does that mean? That means if we have a good model of it, we can improve it. We can say to a human student, let's say, okay, we see where you're having a bit of trouble here. What if we do it this way instead? And we can approach learning, especially, in a much more fluid way than we've been able to in the past, if we know the model that's beneath that learning. I was going to ask you before, when you were talking about the, the training and, and the jobs or the tasks, that there will be a different kind of training necessary, necessary and how that will impact our traditional educational system uh, and the curriculum there. Oh, I think it'll have a tremendous 
tremendous impact. The education system is slow to adapt, and maybe that's not a bad thing uh, because some institutions need to be slow. You and I and probably people today grew up in a culture where we go to a lecture and somebody spews words at us, and we're later on, we go to a, a little section meeting, a breakout meeting, and we question the words that were spewed at us, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's kind of medieval. That's where it all began. And there are better ways of learning, and that the education, people in education, are going to find and adapt and change education. Yeah, and in many ways, they're going to be forced to by the business community, who they're preparing people for a workforce that it doesn't have, currently doesn't have the skills, even even today, uh, doesn't have the skills often for the jobs that are available. That's right. That's absolutely right. And often business has the flexibility to lead the way in such things, to say, here's what I want my employees to be capable of doing. And, and I know how to teach them that. Your new book, This Could Be Important, My Life and Times with the Artificial Intelligence. Yeah, tell us about that. I, I know that it's, it's very, very new. And what spurred you to write it? And what's it about? Well, the, the title comes from the fact that I spent decades pulling on the sleeves of public intellectuals and saying, you know, artificial intelligence. This could be important. And they would laugh and laugh. I mean, machine thinking, come on. So I thought, okay. <laughs> and then in the 90s, no, you know, I'm going back to the 70s and the 80s and most of the 90s. Then as the new millennium dawned, I actually heard people saying, really, artificial intelligence? So I'd spent you know, 30 years pulling on these sleeves and finally I was getting a hearing. Yes, this could be important. Yeah, people are finally listening. So, so talk to us about what the book is about. What, what's the content like? Actually, it's, it's very much a memoir uh -huh. because I knew all the pioneers and I knew them personally. Yes, I, I wrote about them in Machines Who Think. I wrote about their work. But, you know, I kept a journal. Every night I'd come account. home. And, yeah, yeah. I went spiral-bound notebooks. And I went through those spiral-bound no notebooks a few years ago preparing to write this book. I, I don't remember that. Oh, my goodness. Did that happen? Mm -hmm. And so it's really some of the funny things, the nonsensical things, but the very personal things yes. that I knew about these guys. And I had such respect for them and such affection for them that yeah, I'm, no revelations, I'm afraid. No, this, <laughs> this guy was a, a nasty piece of work. No, they were so high-minded. It, it, but it's a privilege to be able to say that to the world. Look, these guys really were high-minded. They really wanted to help the world. So that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it brings them to life. It, it puts the it puts the real people behind it and gives the industry personality. So that it's 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 not just these names on a piece of paper that people read about in history books. And and that is right, that is an or have their thing. names on buildings, or have their names on prizes. You know, right. who who is this person? Okay. Yeah. What are a couple of your favorite anecdotes? <laughs> <laughs> I know you've got to have some. Well, one of my favorites is the first speech understanding program. You have to realize that understanding text, where you have periods and capital letters to start a new sentence and so on, mm -hmm. is a much easier proposition than trying to understand what you and I have been doing. Oh, where there, yes. there is no. Tell me about some of the garbled, yeah, the garbled yeah, transcripts right. I get from some of these very podcasts. <laughs> I bet, I yeah. bet. So understanding that is really hard. And in about 1974, 
one of the first speech, uh, continuous speech understanding programs was developed at Carnegie Mellon University. Well, you know, we're going to have a show and tell, a demo, and everybody gathers in the room, and I'm sitting next to one of the great guys who eventually won a Nobel Prize, but that's a different story. Anyway, I'm sitting next to him, and we're chatting and talking about what we did during the summer and so on, and the demo begins. And what happens? It crashes in five seconds. Well, you know, one is used to that because mm-hmm. this is how computer programs are. Mm-hmm. So Herb and I keep chatting. Finally, this speech understanding program is so good at its thousand word vocabulary. Remember that number that it wins a prize from the Defense Department. A thousand word vocabulary. <laughs> a thousand word vocabulary. Mm-hmm. That was a phenomenal. Okay. Sure it was. So, you know, some people pay attention, most people don't. I mean, a thousand words, come on, big deal. Uh, the San Jose Mercury News, which is Silicon Valley's newspaper, says, wow, this is really big news. And then who else should pay attention but the National Enquirer? Oh, my. And my husband was head of the department where this was all happening. And he hears from the guy who has developed this speech understanding program. Oh my God, the National Enquirer wants to interview me. I don't want to talk to them. So my husband says, ah, let me handle it. My husband's work, by the way, was very, very theoretical. We used to joke that about 10 people on the planet understood it. Five of them were in Europe. Two of them were behind the Iron Curtain and the rest were at MIT. Anyway, my husband calls the National Enquirer and he says, I hear you want to know about our work. Let me tell you about my work. And he goes on in excruciating detail with all this mathematical jargon. I think they hung up on it. <laughs> so he killed the interview right there. Right. This right, is going right. to be a boring thing. You really don't want to talk to my colleague. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wow. No, that's funny. What message would you leave our business listeners with today as it comes to artificial intelligence? I can only say stay alert because things are happening so quickly all over the world that prediction makes you feel like a fool because, you know, what you thought was 10 years in the future Mm -hmm. is happening next week. I see a real business opportunity in Salesforce-like programs for small businesses, affordable things. You know, small businesses can use those. Definitely. They just, they just don't have access to them because of the cost. Stay alert to fraud. We've all been hearing about deep fakes. Well, nobody was talking about deep fakes five years ago. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's very scary. It, it is scary. And yes, there are people trying to combat that, but the bad guys are out there and doing it faster than it can be combated right now. Be careful with cybersecurity. You, you know, you want to protect yourself. Yeah, so, so all very good points. And where can we get a copy of your book? Oh, you can get it on Amazon. It's been wonderful having you on the show today, Pamela. It's been fun listening to some of your anecdotes and a lot of great information for business people who want to stay on top of the applications of AI so they can grow their businesses. Thank you very much. It's been fun talking. Thank you. And I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. I appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Talking Business Now. If you'd like to suggest podcast guests or topics, or to subscribe to the Talking Business Now newsletter or podcast, please visit my website at enterobangsolutions.com. That's I N T E R 
R-O-B-A-N-G solutions.com. Interobang solutions.com. is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.